Welcome to this episode of Unbiasedly Speaking with your host, Tracy Spears. Today's guest is the James Beard Awards semifinalist, Chef Lisa Beckland of the Living Kitchen Farm and Dairy in Depew, Oklahoma, known for their agricultural cuisine. She joins Tracy from the site of her newest venture, the soon-to-open Farm Bar in downtown Tulsa. We dive right into their conversation. Um, so we've have we ever met before? I've been to your restaurant. And okay, you have. You have been to the farm. Okay. Yeah, I I remember um yeah, my my memory is so poor when it comes to the folks coming in and out because I've got my head down and you know, I'm kind of just trying to focus on, you know, eking out dinner. <laughs> Listen, when we were there, so um when we've been a couple of times, but uh, th- that was a well-oiled machine. The way you put out all of that food with so few people in that kitchen was so impressive. So you get to talk oh, for not remembering anything. So. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I love doing it, but I'm, I mean, really it's a well-oiled machine because I get to work with such fabulous people, you know, and it's like, we do, we just have this like great energy together and you know, and it makes it so pleasurable to go to work, you know? I do know. I could, and you could tell that as somebody that came into the restaurant, you could feel that. And when people came out and we were clapping after every, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and we were actually friendly with Marilyn Iloff, who is a regular at your restaurant. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every month or, you know, we come. Oh yeah. She comes all the time. Listen, you have quite a quite a following. You have a big fan base, which I know that feels good. So my wife and I, when we came out there, so she um, wants to be on a farm. So oh, really? I'm going to tell you, whenever you need help, uh, she's your person. She'll come out there. But we fell in love with the goats. But I want to talk about the chick, the chicken bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We, so we travel a lot and we still talk about the chicken bus. Uh, how did the, what, where did the idea come? And maybe tell people what that even is. Yeah, it's a recycled, like band, Stillwater uh, high school band uh, bus. And it was in a junkyard and I drove by this junkyard and I thought, man, that would be like the perfect little chicken coop because, well, actually kind of a big chicken coop because at the time when we bought it, we had 300 chickens. So um, what I thought was, well, this is a perfect little thing to kind of move around from place to place because we're really into rotational grazing and regenerative farming And so it seemed like the perfect solution. So I stopped in and I talked to the guy who owned the the junkyard and I told him what I wanted to do. And I I was like, so this is what I want to do. I want to haul this thing to my farm and I want to put roosting, you know, bars up and layer boxes in there. And I want it to be a chicken coop that I can move from place to place that will be sturdy. Because one thing I realized when I moved to Oklahoma is that the wind here is, I mean, it just, if you don't have things like really tied down, I mean, it just like things just fall apart, you know? I mean, greenhouses, I've seen greenhouses get turned into tents here, you know, like kites where they're just like, you know, they're just gone. And so I thought, well, this is kind of stable, you know, cause in, you know, I couldn't probably build anything that, you know, heavy duty. 
anyway, I said, well, how much do you want for it? And he was like, I'll take $225 for it. (laughs) Right. I know I could never have built anything, um, you know, anything as good or less expensive than that. I mean, so, and, um, so yeah, it can hold up to 300 chickens, totally comfortable, like very comfortable because they like to get close at night. They get up on their little roosts and they just kind of snug in and they got their own little places. Right. So, you know, the, the ones that kind of go to bed early, you know, they're always on the top. That's the, that's kind of like, they got the best view, they know what's going on. Um, so they get up there and they're kind of highest on the pecking order. And then of course, you know, the low rungs are, you know, they haven't, you know, earned their weight yet, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, they're still, you know, like trying to move up the ladder, so to say. <laughs> so for people that have never been out there, it's literally the, a giant school bus all these chickens spill up. You have a portable fence that goes around it. Yeah, it's Electronet. It's Electronet fencing. And I guess it's like 300 feet long. And it wraps around the bus. And it's in two pieces. So every time we move the bus, we have to take the chicken fence down. It just folds up really easily. And then we move it, you know. So Linda and I have this really kind of, this is our system. So we have to wait until it gets dark because that's when the chickens go to roost right so they're all in for the night so Linda gets up now there's no engine there's no brakes um, you know it's no seat there's a steering wheel um, and that's it and four tires so I get on the tractor and I chain it up and then I pull it or push it or it depends on you know and so she steers it so you know when we move it she steers it and there's been times where we've had a little incline and that bus starts taking off and i have to try to outrun it with the tractor so it doesn't like bump the back of my tractor so i'm like oh my god you know you know trying to go fast and she i mean there's nothing she could do you know she just has to sit there and and let go and and you know let gravity do the work so um, yeah, we'll move it like every, you know, a couple of weeks. You have, you, I don't know if you do this, but if you don't, I want to cheer you on to have t-shirts with the chicken bus on it. Do you have, do you use <laughs> marketing? Man, that is a great idea, Tracy. Seriously, that is amazing. <laughs> I totally do need to, you, you know, because it's not pretty. I'll tell you, it's, it looks, uh, you know, a little, um, you know, ramshackly, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's not quite farm chic, but it's definitely farmy. So yeah. Listen, I love it, and as you as you can tell, I mean, we we thought it made uh, a nice opening to a really wonderful evening. So oh, good, really excellent. The experience of all of that, seeing the goats, seeing the chicken bus, and then going into that house. That yeah. You just we just felt like. Um, you know, we were invited over to a friend's house for dinner, which is, I know exactly the feel that you were going for, obviously. And we're sitting on the front porch and, you know, friends with everyone else. So Mm -hmm. we have um, really taken something really big though now to take that environment, a completely different experience now with something called the farm bar. And that's where you're sitting right now. Is that true? 
Yeah, I'm in the uh, mop room, mop closet, basically. I'm sitting in a closet with a hot water tank and a mop room behind me because it's really the only place that's not being worked on right now. So, but yeah, Farm Bar is really an urban extension of our farm. We thought it was kind of time to maybe go the, to the next level of what we were doing to bring people um, this kind of food and this kind of eating. Because as you know, you've been out to the farm, it's a multi-course dinner. So it's, you know, you just sit there and like just food just keeps coming out, you know, and every time it's a new thing and you may like it, you may not, but there's always something new coming. And there's usually something that you've never had before, or there's something that's so familiar, but it's been prepared in a different way. And so we just kind of want to do that here in a more urban environment. I mean, we started this project in September of last year. That's when we signed our lease. So it, I mean, when I think about it, it's hard to even remember what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> like, why did I want to do this? And then it's like, you know, you get, you throw the old COVID in there and it's a rough time to be in the restaurant industry. And I mean, I think in some ways we're really lucky because we are not open. We didn't open sooner, so we don't have to reclose and then open again and reclose. You know, in some ways, it's been a blessing that it has taken so long for Farm Bar to open. In other ways, it's, it's hard to keep the vision alive when so much turmoil is going on in the world because, you know, I'm really sensitive to to justice issues and to health and wellness and well-being. Um, and so I really am feeling this in my heart, you know, and I'm excited to open, um, but I think that I'm unsure of what things are going to be like. I feel very sensitive to opening up in this new world that, you know, we live in. Um, so I'm trying to be, you know, I'm really trying to be thoughtful about how I do it. And because health and wellness and, you know, all of those things are so important to me and my team. And uh, so we're really just trying to be very mindful about how we go about, you know, opening and making sure that people don't just feel safe, but they are safe. And same with our staff. I mean, you know, we just like, we really are vulnerable, all of us and people in the restaurant industry or any service industry right now, you know, are really vulnerable to really the unknown of what COVID is going to bring to this industry. Well, I am thrilled that you're hanging in there and that you will make it through this because there are a lot of great establishments that won't make it through COVID. And so I can imagine for you, and I did a little research um, about when you left Seattle and the circumstances of that. And you take this big chance, it doesn't pan out. You end up in the middle of Oklahoma, which we're grateful and glad you did. Um, yeah. And you take this other big chance, so, so again, and the only thing that could have hijacked you would have been COVID, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so some, something as, as, uh, as big as that to happen on the eve of you opening the doors for your your amazing restaurant. How did you so how did you process all of that? Has that been a grieving process for you? Has it brought up a lot of stuff from the past? Is it just it is what it is? 
Yeah, I mean, it's out of my control. So I think in some ways that gives me a little bit of peace um, that it's not my fault. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't, you know, a miscalculation on my part or, you know, an overspending mistake or some, you know, some, you know, you know, some mistake that is like normally made under, you know, uh, circumstances in business. So, um, you know, I don't, you know, have to blame myself or get all, you know, perfectionism, you know, BS all over. Um, so, um, the only thing is that I have to be on, you know, I'm just trying to be comfortable with uncertainty. And of course, uncertainty is just a fact of life. And I think what I really am realizing is how much I rely on predictability, mm. especially in this business, because it's predicting that Friday and Saturday nights are going to be busy. Wednesday is going to be slow. Okay. So there's no predictability right now. And I think that was my ladder. You know, that was always what I counted on was predictability. So in a way, you know, my, my mind is sort of like a rubber band where it's kind of stretched to the limits of, you know, trying to think creatively around this. And I realized like a couple of weeks ago, I need a bigger rubber band. You know, I need to be able to stretch past, you know, my, my discomfort, you know, and it is just like one day at a time. And I can't count on predictability. Um, you know, that is, that's tough, you know, in this business. So how long has it been since you've prepared a meal as a, as a business owner, uh, at our, whether it's been in Depew or here, um, how long has it been? Yeah. Um, let's see, that would be the last weekend in June. So we opened up for June, just June and it just didn't feel right. Um, we just had a lot of concerns. We were doing everything, you know, the back porch is kind of open, so it's sort of outside, yeah. but it still felt, um, it still just didn't feel like outside. It didn't feel like we just weren't feeling good about it. So we thought, let's just hold off, you know, let's just, it's cheaper for us to close than to take a chance. You know, somebody, you know, on our staff gets, you know, gets it. Um, one of our guests, you know, has been exposed. So, you know, it is sort of, it's a tightrope. Everybody that is in the restaurant business right now is on that tightrope. And that is, you know, that's really, uh, that's stressful, really, you know, it's very stressful. And I don't envy any of my restaurant friends right now that are open, um, and you know doing business because i know that like they're just stressed out and worried we're just all worried it's you know restaurants have always been a place where people go to um relax to indulge to, to i don't know it's sort of like i remember 9 11 right i mean we were open we were so busy and this is back in seattle at my restaurant in seattle it was so busy. People from the neighborhood came down. I mean, everybody was out because they needed that community at that time. I mean, one time we in Seattle, we had this gigantic, you know, snowstorm. 
everybody came down to the restaurant because everybody wanted that community, you know, everybody wanted to talk about the weather. And all of these tragedies and all of these kind of like natural occurrences, people just want to come together so bad. And now restaurants are the place that you want to stay away from. And it hurts. I mean, it's painful to be in that position because I feel like We've always been there for people. We've always been through thick and thin. You know, we're the place where, yes, you need a glass of wine. We got you covered. You know, it's like just, you can just drop your problems out the door, have a beautiful meal, have a nice glass of wine, and then go back to reality in an hour and a half. And now it's sort of like, if you don't have outdoor seating, if you don't, you know, and, and we're just, it's almost like it's flipped and it just, it's painful. It's like, it really hurts, you know? It's true though. I think when I think about what, when I ask even my friends, what do you miss the most about pre-COVID? It is being able to go to a restaurant. So weirdly, yeah. everything you're saying, all the experiences that you have there is, it's, it's the restaurant too, but it's, it's what you're saying. It's more than that. It is that community. And, and for the people that don't know, you were talking a little bit about your restaurant. I mean, you were like a semi-finalist for a James Beard Award. Is that, is that true? Did I read that? Yeah, out? yeah. I, um, wow. Myself and another chef, um, uh, Kevin Snell, who was chef at Amelia's, him and I were the first uh, nominees in Oklahoma history. And that was an amazing honor. And it was great. We made the semi-finalists. We didn't go... Uh, to the next step, but we're, it's still such an honor just to be nominated for semi-finalists. I mean, it's a big deal, you know, it really is. So yeah, that was, that was uh, a surprise and it just, it was so gratifying, you know, that was kind of like, you know, how you can measure if you're doing a good job. Okay. Well, that was like a really good <laughs> indication. I, I felt like, okay, I did a good job. It was like, yay. Because, you know, when you're the chef and you're the boss, you don't, you can tell other people that they're doing a good job, but, you know, you're not going to really hear that <laughs> other than from your guests. They're like, hey, dinner was great. And they keep coming back. And that's a good, you know, indicator that you're doing okay. But for something like some national recognition, that is sort of like, ooh, I mean, that wasn't even on my radar. It felt so uh, gratifying. It really felt good. That was my question. Did you, do you have that desire? Like, can, could you look back and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be a James Beard, uh, best chef, uh, winner. Like, did, did oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. I wake up every morning and I think I want to be the, I want to be a James Beard. Yes. I wake up in the morning. That's the first thing I do. I brush my teeth. I, you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, James Beard, baby, one of these days. <laughs> Well, it is the measuring stick for you, right? The Yeah, it is. Yeah. So congratulations. That is a big, uh, that's a big damn deal. So I, I am excited <laughs> you. Thank you. Does, <laughs> does that kind of put you on the radar uh, for that award maybe in the future? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, you know, for myself, of course, but also, you know, it's kind of nice that it's also where I feel that my, the people that I get to work with, I feel like to some degree, no one reaches that point on their own. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a team effort, but there's like, there's somebody of course leading the way, but I also hope that it sort of grants more exposure to them because, you know, my sous chef cat is this 
amazing baker. She could win award after award after award for her breads and, you know, what she does. So really, you know, it's about like, yeah, I want attention. You know, I like attention. I'm not going to deny it. I want to be good at what I do because it's my craft. I've been working my whole life doing it. And of course I want to be the best at it as I can. Um, but I also see that I get to work with other people that are working just as hard as I am. It's sort of like, it shines a light on me, but also on everybody else too, which is really pretty cool because I feel like our team is just, I mean, we're just always on fire. And so it's nice to have that recognition, but also kind of to know that, yeah, we, we did that together because it does kind of shine a light on all of us, you know, of course I get my name up there, but soon it will be them. Yeah, sure. No, for sure. Well, listen, I'm cheering you on. And whenever you do win, we're going to do this again. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll come back. What are your favorite meals to prepare? I would assume that you have something you love to cook. And then the other yeah. question would be, what do you refuse to cook? Well, I love to cook pasta, make fresh pasta. I love to cook pasta. Um, I love to do things like I love to expose vegetables in different ways. I like a cucumber in powder form, in juice form, in just plain raw form, in a puree form. So I love to kind of exploit all the different nuances of something as simple as a cucumber or something as simple as a carrot because I feel like they have so many different layers of flavor and reasoning, actually, is what I always think about that. When I, when I think about working with something, especially if I get to grow it and harvest it and, you know, from a seed, I have a lot of reverence for that vegetable. But I love pasta must be probably one of the things that I, I love most. What I don't like cooking, actually, what I really don't like is takeout. I'll eat takeout, but I don't want to make it because it's not just making the food for me. It's presenting it. It's the thoughtfulness and the artistry that goes into putting it on the plate. It's the plate that I want to use. It's the whole picture. I don't want to just, uh, you know, satisfy hunger of our, you know, stomachs. You know, I don't want to just like cure the rumblings I want to reach somewhere deeper. I want to reach into different areas of, you know, the brain. Um, you know, one thing that I'm always talking about is I love thinking about, you know, our brains and, and how they work and, you know, all the things that go into our senses, our ability to communicate and how we do that. And especially through food and dining together but there's just so many different elements to it, so many different layers to, to what happens when we sit down and we put something in our mouth. So I think I just take out breaks my heart, even though I totally get it. And I, I get takeout myself. It's like at least a couple of times, you know, we've had Keo and, you know, we'll get something, you know, and, but, you know, a lot of restaurants now that are having to do curbside and stuff, you know, they're not really set up to do that. And it's, you know, it's really difficult. It's a totally different way of doing food because, you know, you have to, you've got to think like it's going to be in a box. 
it's going to sit in somebody's, you know, it's going to be at least 15 minutes before it gets someone's mouth. What's going to happen? What emotional things are going to happen to a person before they pick it up at the restaurant and then they got to sit traffic and then they got to get home. And then, and so it's sort of like what happens in the brain? What happens uh, to our emotional state? I know I think way too much about this, but seriously, the brain, it's, it's complex. <laughs> Listen, having been to your rest, to your house, well, you know, what I now, everything you're saying, I'm connecting to that experience when I had dinner there, right? I knew that all, you were thinking about all of those things. And the idea that somebody cares about all of those experiences is why you're so successful. No, no question, uh, right? And because I think there's a lot of people that don't even, that doesn't even register to them until they hear somebody like you talk about it or they walk into that restaurant and they have that experience. And then that becomes addictive because that experience, yeah. right? And when the food's great, I mean, some people will go because the experience is nice, the food's eh, but if the food's great on top of that, then you end up, I believe, with the reputation you have. Yeah, thanks. You know, when I was a little kid, I think I was 10 years old, um, you know, my parents were both uh, always working and we kind of, we were, you know, I'm at that age where TV dinners were really popular, yeah. Salisbury steak, you know, <laughs> and I remember I used to watch these TV shows like the Galloping Gourmet and, you know, um, and I would just be so disappointed to eat my TV dinner, you know, <laughs> and then one time I just went ahead and I, I wrote the recipe down, you know, cause they would flash it up on the screen, you know, of the TV and you have to write it down. And I uh, made like a pot roast or something. And it was the first time, like, course I had ever cooked anything my older sister and I were on the phone she was coaching me through it okay and my mom and dad got home from work and I had dinner made and the joy that they showed that was addicting and I never turned back after that I realized how important that was um and that was the that was the hook for me just making them happy. Yeah. The joy. Oh, yeah. Wait, were they in the restaurant business? Well, no. I mean, my aunt and uncle owned a restaurant in Seattle for 50 years. So it was called The Wharf. And so I grew up in that running around that restaurant. And my mom was, you know, she, she would come in and work and fill in and, you know, and stuff like that. But no, they were, uh, my dad was a body and fender man. <laughs> they called them back then. Um, so he worked on cars and, you know, my mom did some uh, drug and alcohol counseling. And so, um, yeah, they were, they were just like working stiffs, man, just trying to, you know, like just trying to get it. And Listen, so it was nice. You can't be successful in the restaurant business if you don't have an amazing work ethic, which obviously you inherited from your parents, no doubt. Yeah. You got to make that money. That's right. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of people that don't know, uh, you, you, you keep referencing Seattle. So you yeah. um, start in Seattle and you end up in the middle of Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know if you want to get into that at all, but that, that's, it's not the, it's not the place that if you're telling your, you know, I think I'm going to move to Oklahoma and I'm born and raised here. So I'm partial yeah. and I under, in Tulsa in particular. Yeah. 
How does that happen? How do you end up in, in Oklahoma? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, really it's a multifaceted answer, but I will tell you really the simplest one is love. Um, <laughs> well, that's um, the best reason. It's a story. It's a, uh, let's see, it's an adventure story about uh, lesbian romance, a failed business. Uh, let's see, what else? <laughs> it was sort of like an escape, but at the same time, I really wanted a farm, and I, I thought, man, this could be how this happens. So I had two restaurants in Seattle. I had one restaurant called La Medusa, which is still open. I don't own it, of course. And that was like, that was like a perfect restaurant. It was like this success from day one then three years later i i just got all up in myself and i thought i'm going to open up another place but it was going to be like three times as big and a lot more complicated and it just didn't make it it just really was struggling but during that time i i had a choice i could either close the restaurant the one that was failing and then just pay off my debts through the restaurant that was still succeeding which i could have done i mean it would have really stressed my financial situation pretty hard there but i could have made it happen what i really wanted to do was i wanted i wanted to get out of the business i wanted to get out of the restaurant business what i would think about all the time is how much I would love to live on a farm and I would love to have animals and I would love to grow vegetables. I would love to sell produce at the farmer's market. That's, that's really where my heart and soul is. That's what I want to do. And so I had an opportunity to follow my love, um, who, by the way, is no longer, <laughs> we're no longer together, of course. I mean, that ended like a few years after I moved here. But, you know, as things go, it was the, it was kind of the catalyst of change, you know, which a lot of times that's, that's how change happens. Usually, you know, sometimes it's like the people that come in and out of your life, they always bring something, they might take away something too, but, you know, um, there's always a chance of change. That was my chance. So I moved to Oklahoma only intending on spending about a year here. And then we were going to move back to Seattle and then we were going to find some land somewhere. And because Seattle is a pretty cool city, um, you know, the Washington state is, you know, totally beautiful and I love it there. But after a year living in Oklahoma, I was not done with Oklahoma. I loved it so much here. I had to get used to a few things for sure. Getting things done are, is different here than it is there. But I committed to farming and so I just went for it and as it turns out the person I moved here with her and I broke up and you know I found new love um, that would be Linda who her and I have been together almost 12 years now man I just I scored big time when I met her because she's just such an amazing person and she in her own right even though she doesn't work full-time on the farm she's an awesome farmer she's great with the animals and and we make a really good farm team i just decided that i wasn't going to go back to seattle my family was like why what what you know and i'm like guys you might want to consider moving here it's like the rents are cheap you can probably find land anyway so started farming and sold at the cherry street farmers market for about 10 years you know, try to eke out a living. But at the same time, we started doing dinners on the farm just to make money to support 
the farm because the farm wasn't making enough money on its own because frankly, in all honesty, I wasn't an especially great farmer. I mean, I'm learning here. You know, I had never planted a tomato. I mean, oh, you wow. know, I'd never put a seed in the ground until I moved to Oklahoma. And so I had a long journey to figuring out how this is done. And, you know, I'm a listener and I pay attention and I do what I'm told. So there was a lot of people that helped me along the way, kind of at least have a few successes in, in doing this. But the dinners saved the farm. That's kind of what got me in on this whole thing. It's like, all right, I may not be able to make enough money to cover all my expenses for farming, but at least I could cook and then make up the difference and then keep learning more, you know? So it was kind of like I financed my education. The dinners financed my farming education. <laughs> and it kind of relit your, the fire for, to be a chef. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was like, this is like in my DNA. I can't change it. I've been in the restaurant business since I was 14 years old. Listen, I, I do appreciate an amazing experience. And when I go and, and travel, I always think about and look on TripAdvisor like for, for food experiences. So as a chef, I do have that question for you. Where in the world would you go if, you're, if the only goal was to have a culinary experience? Is it a restaurant or a country or a city? Where would it be? Well, um, if it were a restaurant, it would be Noma in Copenhagen. I went there. Yeah, right on. When I, we had a staff trip a couple of years ago and we went to Copenhagen and we did not get to go to Noma because they were closed for remodeling during that time. So instead we went to Cadeau, which is another very fabulous restaurant. And Rene Renzeppi, who's the chef of Noma, was actually eating dinner at Cadeau, <laughs> the restaurant we were at. So I was like fangirling out hard. I was like, oh my God, you know, climbing over people. No, I wasn't, but they held me down. But yeah, for a restaurant, I think, you know, like talking about so many senses and visual and everything, you know, what you hear, what you see, what you smell, what you feel, like the textures around you. It's like, it's amazing. I was hoping you were going to say Noma. We, we were in Copenhagen. I was on business and we finished the meeting and this woman came, uh, you know, into the lobby of the rest of the hotel. And she started telling, she was by herself and she said that Noma was closed during the time we were there as well, but they, they had a pop-up restaurant as they do occasionally. Oh yeah. Under the bridge. Yes. To try. Linda went to that. Okay. <laughs> she was on business there. She was, she had to go on a business trip there and she was in, I think in Sweden. And then, so she came, or yeah, yeah. Uh, then she came over and ate at the pop-up. <laughs> so she's even been to Noma and I haven't. <laughs> well, it wasn't technically Noma, but it really was. Yeah, yeah, was under the, everywhere. yeah, that's so cool. It is wow, cool. Wow, that's so neat. It is fun. Uh, I think what you do is, is fascinating and amazing. And I love that you have such a passion for what you do. And I know you've been gracious with your time uh, here today. And I'm just, I'm so grateful. And here's my last question for you. When do you, do you feel like you'll be opening soon again? What, what is the future for you right now? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my first priority is getting farm bar up and running 
and I'm hoping that we'll be taking, we'll start opening up reservations maybe in a couple of weeks. We have a couple of hoops to jump through, so we get our health inspection tomorrow, and then our building inspection, um, and then it's our liquor license, and then at that point, that should be, I'd say this without any <laughs> real proof that this will happen, but that should happen in a week. I mean, I don't even believe it anyway. But anyway. <laughs> so that'll happen in a week, but I think it's fair to say that by the second week in August, I mean, I can probably say for sure we're going to be open. So I'm working on building out a patio. So that way we have like outdoor seating. Of course, it's like going to be August for God's sake, but we have been serving dinners out at the farm, which is in a covered back porch, like a screened in back porch. It's been hot. I mean, there's been some hot days and we've had them crammed in there. So I'm thinking that hopefully people will come and at least sit outside and we'll have some seats around the bar too. We'll be doing the whole distancing thing, but that's the main priority. And then we'll definitely be closed at the farm through August and we'll look at September. I mean, depending on if we open at the farm, I'll have to be starting to hunt around for another chef. So I'll kind of, you know, I'm just at this point, because there's no predictability, I just have to kind of play it by ear, just like one, you know, just one day at a time and kind of um, pace myself by that, just what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, to see how it goes. Yeah, and you said um, you had had to adapt to a lot of different elements in Oklahoma. So in Seattle, August is, is the perfect time to be in Seattle. Right? <laughs> totally. And it is the worst time to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. Because of the heat. So I, su I, I assume yeah. you meant the wind and the heat and yeah. of your adjustments, yes? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I, I'm a, a rabid journaler. So every single morning I journal and I've got, I mean, years worth of journals, right? And so I will tell you that based on the journals, August is not the hottest month, July is. And August starts cooling down by August 12th. We, we start tapering down and we might have like one or two peaks but I mean, this is probably over a 10 year trend. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I just like, it always feels to me like when I come into, oh no, August, but as it turns out, August isn't really as bad as July. Okay. Just a note. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do this thing where I'm like, I wake up in the morning, I check the weather, I look at the forecast. And then of course, the next morning I have to say like what it actual, you know, so it's like a budget, right? It's like, here's what the prediction is. Here's what the actual is. <laughs> and so that way I can kind of like, I try to like game the system of, you know, of planting and <laughs> somehow I think like, oh yeah, if I like know what the weather's going to be like, I might be able to grow, be a better grower. So, um, but as it turns out, maybe this will help me in the restaurant business. Have you seen The Biggest Little Farm? Have oh, no, I have not. Documentary. I think that I have the name right. Oh, I hope that's the name of it. It will blow your mind. It's so, so good. They decided to become farmers. They documented all of the things that the land does and how you, the adaptability. I think, yeah. I think you'd really enjoy it. I'll, I'll make yeah. sure. Yeah. 
which is Apricot Farms, I believe is the name of the farm. It's in California. But it's, it really shows you how hard it is to be a farmer. Listen, I'm, I'm going to let you get back to your, to your construction, but I want to say this, when those doors open, my wife and I will be on the front row and, oh, great. and are so excited for you. But I, and if I can help you in, with the chicken bus uh, t-shirts or anything, like I, I see a graphic artist doing a school, you know, the school bus with chickens hanging out. I think, I think you're, there, there could be something there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is like a fabulous idea. But, you know, I want to tell you too, that I wasn't familiar with this podcast. So I've been listening. I love podcasts because, you know, I'm out hoeing and weeding and stuff like that. So I'll listen to podcasts sometimes all day or books. And so I, I've been really enjoying your content. And I just, I love how the conversations have been really engaging and I, I just want you to know that I've really loved listening to the episodes that you have had and I wish you much success with this podcast. I think it's really cool. Also, I because I love the podcast so much, I ended up downloading your book oh. <laughs> and I, I'm just listening to it through Audible and so I'm just uh, about quarter of the way through but I love it. And it's just genius. And seriously, I told Linda, I'm like, girl, you have got to listen to this book. And I want you to call Tracy and I want you to start coaching with her because she's a senior manager for a nonprofit in the oil industry. You just had so many great nuggets and I was just eating it up. I can't wait to continue listening to it. Yeah, seriously, it's really good stuff. That's so nice. Thank you. Listen, we'll sit at the bar and talk more about all of it. Excellent. Thank you. Lisa, thank you. We'll do it again soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe so you can get future episodes as soon as they release. If you're curious about Tracy's book that Lisa spoke of, go to Audible and search for What Exceptional Leaders Know.